0: Good morning. morning. U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Martin Kober, who lives in Buffalo, New York, had a painting that hung in his home for a long time. About three decades ago, a stray tennis ball hit this painting, and it fell down. And they meant to hang it up again, but they didn't. So he, he wrapped it up and put it behind a couch, hoping to hang it up again, but he didn't. And uh, 23 years after that, the, the painting was still stuck behind the couch. And so in 2003, he took the painting to Antonio Forcinello, an Italian art restorer and historian, and they evaluated that the painting was an original by Michelangelo and was valued at $300 million. He had something in his possession that he never knew the value of. This morning in a sermon entitled The Supernatural Neglect, we're gonna look at something that we have in our possession that we may not fully recognize the value of. Our text is from Hebrews chapter two, verses one, two, three, and four. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to it, and we will look at these verses as we go along. I've divided the sermon into three parts. In the first part, we will look at the offer of salvation. In the second part, we will look at the neglect of salvation. And in the third part, we will look at the application of salvation. I hope to spend a little more time in the third part um, when we look at the application of salvation. So, first, let's look at the offer of salvation, or what I will call the greatness of our gift. The greatness of our gift. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 reads How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape? if we neglect such a great salvation. We have been given such a great salvation. Well, what is it that makes our salvation great? Why is our salvation great? Salvation through the Old Testament was a temporary solution. And the Jews thought that salvation came through the angels because they were thought to be the mediators between Yahweh and Moses on Mount Sinai when God gave him the 10 commandments and the laws. So that is why in Hebrews chapter one, The writer of Hebrews goes through this entire argument to prove that Jesus is superior to the angels. And in chapter two, verse one, he says, therefore, and brings the argument that we have a great salvation. Why do we have a great salvation? Because if the salvation that was given through the angels was good, then the salvation that is given through Jesus, who is superior than the angels, is even better. So I wanted to compare the concept of salvation with the Christian doctrine and other uh, major world religions. This is a report from the International Monetary Fund. Just so you don't accuse me of bias, this is from a 2018 uh, IMF report showing the richest and the poorest countries, and the poorest country, according to them, is the Central African Republic in 2018 at 185 with a GDP of 712 international dollars. They don't use the US dollar, they use a dollar called the GRE commerce dollar which is a hypothetical dollar to standardize things. And so the world's poorest country uh, in 2018 was the Central African Republic. Now suppose, An orphan from the Central African Republic wants to immigrate to the U.S. And just for the purposes of this illustration, I'm gonna consider the U.S. as heaven. And we all know that U.S. is not heavenly by any stretch of imagination. But just for the purpose of this illustration, we're gonna consider U.S. as heaven. And here is this poor orphan in the poorest country in the world who wants to immigrate to the United States. So, salvation in Islam is through good works and following the five pillars, but there is no guarantee of salvation. So if an Islamic message was being given to this orphan in the Central African Republic, it would be do all these things, and once you've done all these things, then you can immigrate to the US. So fill out all these forms, pay the thousands of dollars, go online and do all this other stuff that you need to do, and once you've done all that, then you can immigrate to the US. It doesn't matter whether you have whether you don't have the money to pay for immigration. If you don't have the money, then oh well, too bad, you can't immigrate. Salvation through Hinduism is through good works, or meditation, or devotion, and you are in this cycle of births and rebirths called sansara that you keep going through until you hope that at some point you will get out of the cycle and attain moksha, or nirvana, and, and you will have salvation. So if the Hindu message was going to this orphan in the Central African Republic, it would be, do all these things, fill out all these forms, pay all these thousands of dollars to immigrate to the U.S., and once you've done all these things, hopefully you will immigrate to Burundi at the next life. Maybe there's somebody here who is from a Hindu faith, and that is a real thing. I'm not trying to downplay their worldview, I'm just trying to assess it. And hopefully in the next life, you can, you can get up to Malawi. And hopefully after that, you can get to South Sudan. And hopefully 180 countries later, you can immigrate to the US. Salvation in secular humanism is, well, there is no salvation. There is nothing to be saved from and nothing to be saved to. We are here by chance and we will end by chance. And once it's all said and done, when we die, we will dissipate into ethereal nothingness. So the secular humanistic message for this orphan in the Central African Republic will be, well, there is no America, and so you die in the Central African Republic. And then we come to the Christian concept. The Christian concept is different than every other worldview, and in this way. You would look at the orphan in the Central African Republic You will go to the Central African Republic. You will take citizenship of that country. You will befriend the orphan. You will adopt the orphan. You will pay for all the immigration expenses for the orphan to get to the U.S. You would buy two tickets for the both of you to come here to the U.S. And that is why the Christian worldview of salvation is such a great salvation. What do we do with this great salvation? we neglect it, we neglect this great salvation. Secondly, let's look at the neglect of salvation, the slowness of our drift. Let me read verse one and three of Hebrews chapter two. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. We have been given such a great salvation and the author of this book asks us not to neglect it. The word for neglect is used of a ship that is carelessly slipping past the harbor where it is supposed to dock, but the captain wasn't paying attention to the wind and the waves and the tide and the ship slips away from the harbor where it is supposed to dock. It is a picture of indolence and criminal neglect. We can drift away. Drift away from what? Is it salvation that we're drifting away from? Well, before we answer the what question, we need to ask the who question and answer the who question. And this is why it is so critical that when we study a passage of scripture, that we understand the context of the passage because that makes all the difference. Because the who in this passage is, who is he talking to? Is he talking to believers or non-believers? If he's talking to non-believers, this drifting is drifting away from salvation. If he's talking to believers, they cannot drift away from salvation, they're already saved. This is not drifting away from salvation. In this passage, he's actually talking to Believing Jews, they're believers. An unbeliever drifts away from salvation by rejecting it. So in John chapter 3 verse 36 it reads, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. An unbeliever drifts away from salvation by rejecting it. A believer drifts from salvation by neglecting it. One is rejection, one is neglecting. What is the difference? I want to show you the difference between rejecting salvation and neglecting salvation with an illustration, and I need your help. So I'm gonna ask for two volunteers. I'm not gonna have you stand up and sing or come here or do anything. I just want your names, I just want to use your names and drag it around a little bit. Um, So can I have two volunteers, please? You, okay, so the, well the only criteria is the first volunteer should not have a history of alcoholism. Anybody, doesn't have a history of alcoholism, okay. And second volunteer should not have an adult son. The second volunteer should not have an adult son. You, okay, what's your name sir? Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, and you remember that. Daniel, and, and you ma'am? Lynn. Lynn, and you don't have a history of alcoholism. Great, so let's assume that Lynn is an alcoholic. Okay. Lynn is an alcoholic. And the past couple visits to the doctor, her belly has gotten huge, because when the liver doesn't work, the liver doesn't make plasma proteins, and so these proteins don't keep the fluid inside the vascular system, inside the blood system, so all the fluid gushes out into the abdomen. So now she's walking around with this huge abdomen, and she needs to go every two months, or whenever her abdomen is big, and get it tapped out. It's called an abdominal tap. They put a hole in the abdomen, and they drain out the fluid from the abdomen. And then her liver situation gets worse, and as she gets worse and worse, the doctor says, there is no hope for you. You're gonna die unless you get a liver transplant. And Lynn says, I'm not gonna get a liver transplant. That is rejecting salvation. On the other hand, she says, well, well, you think that I need a liver transplant? Sure, let me get a liver transplant. She gets a liver transplant, but she continues in her alcoholic ways that is neglecting salvation. We are neglecting salvation when we drift away. What makes the neglect of this salvation such an egregious act is that Jesus sacrificed his life for it. Imagine that Daniel had a 21-year-old son that died in a car accident. Just as he was in the hospital, his life was ebbing away and as he was dying, a team comes to Daniel and said, we know your son is dying, can you please donate your son's organs for other people? And they're gracious enough, their family agrees to donate the organs. And the liver of Daniel's son went to Lynn. Now imagine if Daniel sees Lynn in her alcoholism. It is terribly impertinent to neglect a salvation that was so costly to procure. We talked about the greatness of our gift, we talked about the slowness of our drift, And third, we will look at the fullness of our shift, the application of salvation. In Hebrews chapter two and verse one, it says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Peter talks about our position in Christ when a person becomes a Christian. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. So he's saying, we have made the shift from darkness to light, from death life. And now we need to live in the fullness of that shift. We have received a liver transplant. Let's live like we have received the liver transplant. How can we drift away and neglect the salvation that we have received? And therefore, how can we pay close attention to the salvation that we have received? I want to point out three ways by which we can pay pay close attention to the salvation that we have received. The first two that I'm gonna say is mentioned here in regard to the old covenant, but it can be applied into the new covenant as well, into the covenant that we are in. How can we pay close attention to our salvation? Number one, by having exclusive boundaries. Exclusive boundaries. Hebrews chapter two and verse two reads, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There are two words that are used here. One is transgression, one is disobedience. So let's look at transgression first. Transgression means stepping across a line stepping across a line. Every relationship has some boundaries and if you step across the line of the boundary, you have committed a transgression. The exclusivity of a relationship determines the boundaries of that relationship. Let me say it again. The exclusivity of a relationship determines the boundaries of that relationship. The more exclusive a relationship is, the more the boundaries of that relationship. Let me give you three quick examples. Let's say that you shop at Walmart. You have no exclusive relationship with Walmart. I mean, you can, you can shop anywhere. If you don't like their great value aluminum foil, you can go to Safeway and get their great value. I mean, not, not their great value, but their own aluminum foil. Doesn't matter. That relationship is not an exclusive relationship. So there are no boundaries. In the middle are relationships where there is some exclusivity. So there are some boundaries. So for example, your cousins or your relatives or family members or friends or neighbors, those have partial relationships. So there are some boundaries. And then there are other relationships where, for example, if you are in a relationship with your spouse, the exclusivity of that relationship with your spouse prevents you from having any similar relationship with somebody else. Because the boundaries are much deeper, are much more tighter. God only deals with exclusive relationships. God is not like a Walmart where you can come to God and then go to Buddha and then go to somebody else and then go to... No, no, no. God only deals with exclusive relationships. And so in Exodus chapter 20, as he gives the first of the Ten Commandments, he says in verses 2 through 5, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This is not cheap, human, unfounded jealousy, but this kind of jealousy is the reaction of God to someone who has transgressed the boundaries of an exclusive relationship. How can we pay much closer attention to our salvation? By having exclusive boundaries, and secondly, by listening. The second word that we mention here is the word disobedience and it means imperfect hearing. So for example, a person who is deaf. By extension it means careless hearing or unwillingness to listen. Therefore disobedience to the voice of God. How is our listening to God? Have we been listening to God? How many of us in the last month have listened to God? How are we in having conversations with God? Are we having conversations with God? Or is it just, you know, I I talk to him, kinda. I need some stuff, I talk to him. I need some more stuff, I talk to him. Just one way. If you haven't heard God speak, say for example in the last month, is it because God is not speaking? No, it's because we are not listening. God is speaking, God would like to speak to us every day. If you have a little kid, you don't want him to come to you only when he wants candy, right? I mean, you want him to come to you anytime, all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. And that's not true with God. God wants us to come to him all the time. One of the biggest hindrances in in listening to God is the cacophony of distracting voices. And especially in this day and age when we are so connected with everything. And that's why Jesus said when he was talking about prayer, he said, shut the door. In a culture where they usually had single or just two or three rooms in a house, Jesus still said, shut the door. Yes, you may have to ask your brothers and sisters whom you're sharing your room with to leave the room to shut the door. And today it's much easier to shut the door. We have to shut the door or we can't listen to God. I've got a video clip from UFC 236 between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. And as you watch this one minute video clip, there are multiple voices that you can hear. There's a sound of Joe Rogan and a couple commentators that are there commenting on, on the fight. There is a crowd that you can hear, but in the middle of that, you can hear two other voices. And I want you to pay attention to those two other voices in spite of the distraction that you may hear. In his corner, Joe, is telling him, you don't have to go for the takedown right away. Lay on him, wear on him. out for that right elbow of Ortega as Max controls that inside of his arm. I think it's safe to say this is already the most difficult defense. Oh, yeah. Back to the center of the octagon. So in this fight, there are multiple voices. You can hear the sound of Joe Rogan and the other guy that was commenting. Then you hear the crowd, and then you hear two distinct voices. And those are the voices of the coaches and they are coaching their fighters in the middle of the fight. It would be a tragedy if the first time the fighter, Max Holloway, for example, the first time he met his coach was when he came to the octagon for the fight. That would be a tragedy. Because A, he would lose a fight, and B, he would not be able to recognize the voice of the coach. He needs to be with his coach well before the fight. So when his coach is talking, he knows his coach is talking, even though he's not looking at his coach. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice. Ladies and gentlemen, the tragedy is that many of us try to listen to God and try to determine the will of God when we are in the middle of the battle. We have to learn to listen to the voice of God way before we get into the middle of the battle. Way before you're trying to figure out what kind of job you want to do, what kind of education you want to do, what kind of person you want to marry. Way before that, shut the door, get into your room, and try to listen to the voice of God. And we need to get used to listening to the voice of God so that when we are in the middle of the battle, in spite of the distracting voices around us, we can clearly differentiate the voice of God when all the other voices are also there. By not listening to God, we are neglecting the salvation and drifting away. The third way that we can pay close attention to our salvation is by witness. Let me read chapter two, verse three and four, which says, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What is God bearing witness to? God is bearing witness to salvation. So the earlier verse says that salvation was announced by Jesus. It was confirmed by those who heard him the disciples, and then God bore witness to salvation through miracles and spiritual gifts. So who is doing the miracles and the spiritual gifts? The church, right? So I used to think that spiritual gifts was only for believers to grow the body of Christ. But spiritual gifts are way before (laughs) it is in the salvation part of it. So even when we present the gospel to somebody, there needs to be miracles and spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, that's another topic, that's another sermon. We need to find out what our spiritual gifting is. But at the presentation of the gospel, there needs to be miracles and gifts, and so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse four, it reads, Paul says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. How could he say it was not with wise and persuasive words? He had such wise and persuasive words. His arguments were excellent. His argument at Athens was excellent. How can he say it was not with wise and persuasive words? Because you see, his message, his verbal message was supplemented through the power of the Holy Spirit that came through in miracles and gifts. What happens when we are involved in miracles and gifts? We are bringing the holy supernatural into the unholy natural. In that sense, we are the middle person because we have the holy supernatural in us and unfortunately the unholy natural in us. And so we are that middle person. And so when we come to a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ and you have shared the gospel to them, at some point we have to confirm the message like God did with miracles and gifts. An easy way Is by asking to pray. You can ask to pray for them. You're sharing the gospel to somebody. Has to pray for them. What issues are you going through? Let me pray for you. And it's not like you're going to do this magical trick. And fix their problems. You are in contact with an eternal. Almighty all knowing God. Who knows them better than you know them. And better than you know yourself. So God is able to do the miracle. And we need to find a way to use our spiritual gifts during the gospel message. How are we bringing the holy supernatural into our unholy natural world? I'm gonna end with a story. About 20 years ago, I was working at this mission hospital in India called Christian Medical College and Hospital. It is in vellore South India, one of the biggest hospitals in India. I worked there for a year and a half in the maxillofacial surgery department. And when I worked there, I had this position where on the billing sheet of the patient, so I I could tick off whatever procedure I was doing, and the billing sheet on the corner, I could write half and sign my name, and whatever the bill was, they had to pay only half of it. Or I could write one fourth and sign my name, and whatever their bill was, They needed to pay only one-fourth of it. And if I wrote free, it was completely free. As I was working there, a lady who was working in the cafeteria where we used to go for our meals came and met me and said, I would like to have a procedure done. Can you do it for me? I said, sure, come on in. We did the consultation. And on her billing sheet, I checked off the procedures that she needed. She was an acquaintance of mine. I could have written free and signed my name and she would not have had to pay anything. But I didn't. I wrote one fourth and I signed my name. You know why? Because if I wrote free, she would not know what she got written off. And the fact that she had to pay 300 rupees helped her to be aware that she had 900 rupees written off. The issue that we have in salvation, and I say issue with quotes, is that the salvation that Jesus gave us is completely free. And therefore, we don't have the faintest idea how much it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to give us that salvation for free. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if God had said, I'm going to make them pay 1,000th of the cost of salvation, I promise you, we would have been lying prostrate on the ground and worshiping God for the rest of our lives because we would have known what we got free. But because we've got it completely free, we don't know. And therefore, it is easy for us to reject it. It is easy for us to neglect it and walk around. I'm going to give the opportunity for two groups of people to respond to this sermon. If there's anyone here who has rejected salvation, you can pray a prayer after me. Or maybe there's somebody here who has neglected salvation. And we don't respect the exclusive boundaries that are between God and us. And that relationship. And we are not listening to God like we should. And we are not involved in witnessing like we should. You can also pray with me. If there's anybody here who has never invited Jesus into your life. You can pray this prayer after me. It is not a magical prayer. But if it's a prayer that you really mean. God will answer your prayer and fulfill his end of the promise. You can pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I deserve death. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for your offer of salvation. Thank you for the price that you paid to get my salvation. Thank you that you gave my salvation for free because otherwise I could never have afforded it. I ask you to come into my life and make me complete. Help me to live for you.